Welcome to the Coffee Clatch Crew. Sherlock, Series 4, Episode 3 review. The final problem. The season finale, and perhaps the series finale. I'm Jason Pistorino. I'm Christina Lomangino. And by that, yeah, we mean the whole show finale. Could be. We'll talk about that when we get later on into the episode. But it definitely felt like they were wrapping up Sherlock in the last scene here. I'm crying a little bit. (laughs) But I think we should sing in every single episode. It feels good. It pumps you up. I'm so excited to talk about the final problem. That'll be our next one. I'm so excited. (laughs) This was potentially my favorite Sherlock episode. Really? After The Last Vow. Ooh, okay. I'm not with you on this one. We might for (laughs) once divert a little bit. (laughs) That's a controversial statement. Uh, His Last Vow was my favorite episode to date. I don't know that this surpasses it. I've watched that several times. I've only watched this once, so we'll see how it holds up on the rewatch. I think that could have something to do with our differing opinions because you've watched it twice. I have. I went home sick from work, and I laid on the couch with the bird, and I watched it the second time. And I had to pause it because I fell asleep, but that's because I'm sick, not because of the show. (laughs) If he sounds funny, that's what's going on here. But let's get into it. This one was written by Stephen Moffat and Mark Gaddis. Directed by Benjamin Karen, produced by Sue Vertu. It was 90 minutes. IMDb gave it an 8.8. Of course, we have no Rotten Tomatoes scores because they haven't been rating the episodes individually. We can start out by talking about the references and allusions because there are many in every episode. The title here might be a nod to The Adventure of the Dancing Men. You also have Euros making reference to Jim Moriarty having a brother who is a station master. That was taken from the Valley of Fear. Also a brother by the name of Colonel James Moriarty is mentioned by John Watson in The Adventure of the Final Problem. Mary's closing line referring to Sherlock and John is taken from the ending of The Adventures of the Final Problem, where John refers to the then-presumed deceased Sherlock as the best and wisest man I have ever known. I believe this was the book that... The writer actually, this was it. He wanted to kill off Sherlock, and that was it. And there was such a revolt that he continued to write and wrote him back in. That's exactly why they called it the final problem, and you hear John wrapping it up. And that's what gives me consolation, that perhaps they're just following the tone and the mood of the book series by giving you a little bow on it at the end of our last scene. Well, yeah, I think what they did was they left it closed enough and open enough to continue if they need be. Absolutely. A nice little montage, a little feel-good. All your favorite characters in their home, which thank God they put the home back together. I'm so, I'm so weird, but if they moved to a new place, I would have been like, oh, it's not No, that's not weird. You have to have Baker Street. That's iconic. Well, or if they did it up differently. They went so far as spray painting the face back on. And putting and bullet putting holes. Bullets. I love that. They know us. You have one more reference here. The Holmes Ancestral House, Musgrave, is an allusion to the story, The Adventure of the Musgrave Ritual. You also have a couple of music notes. Of course, we had The Number of the Beast by Iron Maiden, which played while Mrs. Hudson was listening to music (laughs) as she cleaned the house. And the one that opened our episode, I Want to Break Free by Queen, and also East Wind Blows, which is the song that Euro sings throughout the episode. You want to talk a few fun facts? Let's do it. I actually didn't know this until we read it. 
let's be honest and put this out there. This was the first time we did not watch Sherlock on a Sunday night. Yes, and it was very difficult because we had Clatchers writing to us, and for the first time I had to ignore them as fear of... Spoilers? Yeah. Now we know what it's like for all those people who don't watch on time. This is my first experience with that. Every time I saw Coffee Clutch Crew, I just kept moving it to another folder. Mm -hmm. (laughs) We were in Jersey, so we were actually driving when the show was on, and we got home late, so we watched it Monday. Yes, it was a big family event. But we found out later in doing our research, one day before the episode's release, it was leaked online by Russian distributor Channel One. That sucks. Both the official Sherlock Twitter and members of the team acknowledged this and asked people not to share it and keep the internet free of spoilers. BBC Worldwide is engaged in a full-scale investigation of the early leak. Good. Which occurred on January 14th for this final episode of the fourth season. You know, I really hate when people do that. People put a lot of time and money and effort into these episodes. And Mm -hmm. I know that we're used to, and I always say I love this, we're used to like a Netflix or we're getting acquainted with, you know, being able to just gurgitate everything in one sitting if we want to, which we do like better. But honestly, with shows like this, I like to wait a week. I like to sit on it. I like to. Oh, well, my you know, goodness. It... You're waiting for two years well, yeah, that's... for a new season to come out, and there's only three episodes. So it really doesn't lend itself to binging like other seasons True. do. Yeah. The excitement is building, and you want to experience it along with people. So now it's not even for people like us that are one day behind, right. which has gotten so crazy that you can't be two hours behind no. or you'll get ruined. But it's even the so actual the West Coast. airing of the episode you're, you're ruined on. So I guess that's why they're conducting this investigation formally. I don't even know if it's... Why is it always Russian? There's always hacks and they're mm-hmm. saying it's from Russia. Well, I'd like to know what the time difference is and mm-hmm. if that kind of factors into things here. Not that leaking it is okay either way, but... Oh, I see. Okay, so on to another fun fact. This is the third time a Sherlock episode has premiered on the big screen, so it was available to see in the movie theaters, which I wish we would have done that. Yeah, that would have been awesome, actually, to watch it. But you know what? We got a big screen TV, (laughs) and we got surround sound. That's true. We have our recliners. It feels like our own personal cinema, but... We can't pause it. In the movies. Absolutely. <laughs> Wouldn't be able to take notes. There's something, though, about experiencing it with the rest of the fans and seeing that group reaction, feeling excited like you're a part of it. What if we... That would have been so awesome if we did that and then we were able to get up and, like, talk to everyone in the movie theater. Do a live podcast? Yeah. Immediately like after? If we were known enough where we could do that, that'd be really fun, actually. I would love to start investigating that, maybe starting small with our local college or university yeah all right one last fun fact the setting for Sharonford, the high security prison we see in this episode was filmed at saint Catharines fort on saint Catharines island off castle bay in pembrokeshire wales castle beach yes correct i i, I correct you on that but then you said pembrokeshire wales correctly and i would have not been able to say that word <laughs> it's spelled pembrokeshire Oh, good job. <laughs> also, the first fun fact I forgot to say, this was this episode's lowest rating of all the episodes, but I'm hoping it's only in, because of the hack. 
that definitely could have something to do with it. I would see if you're looking at it objectively, episode one of this series being the lowest rated episode. Also, it could be playoffs, football. Yes. And it was a holiday. So people might be watching it late. We got to go back to those numbers afterwards. And we actually got a chance, because of the way we watched it this time, to see the behind the scenes that they aired leading up to the episode, which was really fun. I think it was a full 20 minutes long. It was really cool to see what the actors had to say. That's always cool. But was, what was fun for me is that Martin Freeman said, when he was talking about Toby Jones's character, mm-hmm. how creepy he was. And I just kept remembering in the podcast, I kept saying, this was creepy. Yeah, he referred to him as a modern villain from an original source. They talked about this idea they had of portraying an untouchable media personality and how they could use the amount of money, power, and magnetism to recruit people. And that's where I slightly differed from them. I won't go on about that because I talked about it last episode, but I didn't so much see the magnetism and the charm there. I do agree with portraying a modern type of bad guy Yeah. by use of... Things like Twitter and Facebook and media ads. Toby did an amazing job. They kept saying one of the best villains, right? And I disagree. Not even in the same league as Moriarty. No, no one is. I have to say, as soon as I saw him step off that helicopter, I got tingles. Dare I say, no one on no show in my memory is better than Moriarty. As far as villain is concerned. I would tend to agree with you. And one of our Clatchers wrote in about that to say the combination of James Moriarty and Queen's I want to break free equals the most perfect villain moment. Yes, that was from Lewis. (laughs) Yes, thank you very much for that. We agree. They also talked about a few other things from the previous episode. They pointed out that Sherlock and Watson were more isolated than ever. And Mary played a guiding light to aid in Sherlock's recovery to help him find his friend and not blame him. And she cited the lengths that Sherlock went to to purposely handicap himself by driving himself into drug abuse and ruining himself mentally. And they all said they thought the two will never face anything this seismic again in their relationship. I hope not, because, I mean, who wants that kind of life? But yeah, like this is the biggest thing that will ever happen to Sherlock and Watson, what we saw in the last episode. I kind of think the, the events in this episode surpass it. I was thinking this episode, even though it's the worst thing that could happen to Sherlock, I bet when he was done with it, it was the most fun he had. And he'll be chasing that high now forever. Like the bar of how high he gets from a case. Oh, I hope that doesn't equate to that because that might get a little bit out of control after time. I'm hoping that the combination of the realism of what they faced here, which was unlike anything we've ever seen before, being confronted with life and death. And they said repeatedly how they had to picture it as though they were soldiers on the battlefield just to get through it. But also learning about Sherlock's past, which we have wanted to know for so long. This is one of the greatest mysteries of this series, this show, this character throughout history is how did he get to be the way he is? What is the big secret about his traumatic past that he can't remember? And in fact, it is a huge trauma that we'll discuss when we go through the plot. Yeah, I believe that's one of the biggest mysteries on TV and also 
Doctor Who's real name is another <laughs> one of the biggest mysteries. That is true. So I don't know, maybe breaking all these things down and him figuring out his own past and where he comes from and why he relates to people the way he does will change things for the better for him and allow him to sort of calm down a bit and feel okay about emotionally connecting to people because we found out that he used to be an emotional child yeah. until this happened to him, and then he shut off afterwards. I'm very emotional. I think it's the genius behind us <laughs> that just brings out the emotion. I just can't suppress it, you know? So how do you equate for Mycroft? He's going to be fun to talk about here, too. Mycroft never had emotions. Or maybe there's a past that he's dealing with that maybe we can someday see. You never know. Although I think Miss Hudson pointed to that in the last episode, that inherently they were both different. Sherlock and Mycroft, and maybe that was a bit of a foreshadow to us learning about his emotional past. Yeah, maybe. How about some TMZ time? Okay. <laughs> Martin and Amanda, the actress who plays Mary. Mm-hmm. We had spoken, I think, in the preview cast that they were in relation. I think for a while they had been in a relationship yeah. together, yes. But they actually broke up back in March. So that means that they shot her death scene as exes. Oh, that is so incredibly difficult. <laughs> it, yeah. But it seemed like, I don't know if this is the case. It might have just been for the media. But it seemed like they broke up amicably. Mm-hmm. So they were, you know, they're adults about it and they still love each other, but not like that, I guess. Yeah, she said in an interview, quote, that they are still best mates and they always will. And about episode two, which is my favorite in this season or series, excuse me, (laughs) 9.5 million people watched it. That's one of the highest rated TV shows of all time. Wow. For, I think for BBC, but it might be of all time. I don't remember. Uh, Don't yell at me. One of the highest I've ever heard of in the reviews we've done. Yeah, that's a lot of people. All right, I have one more fun fact as well regarding the chase scene, the car chase with the Aston Martin from last episode. Yeah. They had a fun little bit about this on the behind the scenes that they used the Aston Martin, two police cars, action cars driven by stuntmen, a helicopter, and a drone that followed behind it to film it. So it cost a lot of money. They didn't say how much. But they also got the driver who's done the last three Bond films, Mark Higgins, as the stuntman. See, that's amazing. Oftentimes we watch, you know, that what was that, 30 seconds, maybe a minute in the episode? And we think we talk about how awesome it is and we we fanfare about it. But we don't really think about how much that 30 seconds or how much went into that 30 seconds, how much money, how much planning. They said they filmed that whole day, right? If not two, two I days? I think two days. But the planning was months yeah. of planning. They had to get a helicopter. They had to get these expensive, well, that expensive car. These drivers are not cheap. Even the drone that they're filming the on? The drone filming. They had a helicopter filming the scene being filmed from a drone. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's a lot of work <laughs> and a lot of planning. And uh, I think the woman that was on that behind the scenes was like the main person that makes sure everything's in line timing wise and every person's in place everyone's right. getting what they want that's a stressful job i actually was in a commercial once and it was a small commercial for ruby tuesdays mm-hmm. and there was there was a guy who was in charge of all the people and all the timing and when people eat and when the director wants them to move 
he was very stressed, and that was a small crew. Yeah. In a building. It was really fun to watch that. Mrs. Hudson was in her glory. Una Stubbs, the actress. Oh, she was so adorable. It was very cute about how glad she was that they had this scene built around her character. They also showed some behind the scenes of when Sherlock gets beat up by Watson. Oh, yeah, that was cool. And bringing in the stunt double for that. And all the planning that goes into that. So it was really cool to see. If you haven't watched it yet, definitely check it out. They also have some of those interviews on a podcast put out by Masterpiece Studios. Good podcast. (laughs) Dare I say not as good as ours. Well, they only have a few (laughs) per season. They do it for all the seasons that are on PBS, and they have a lot of behind-the-scenes type of information and interviews directly with the main actors on the show. So they had one with the woman who plays Molly Hooper. Okay. One with Mary and one with John Watson, which was really cool. Louise Brealey, the woman who plays Molly Hooper. Correct, yes. And, of course, I'm teasing about us being better. I, I wonder how we would do with a big star in front of us. I would not be able to find my I'd words. I'd geek out. I'd I like, guarantee it. I'd be like, so Cumberbatch, you're really tall. You're really good looking. You're really, I love your gray eyes. <laughs> and I'd be like, Christina keeps saying you're not that good looking. I keep saying you are. So I'm better, right? Oh, I'm so sorry. He's he amazing so- in every other way, though. Let's just leave it at that. Okay, we have a lot to talk about this episode. Do you want to jump into our plot? Let's do it. You know, I have to say, maybe they have it right, the English, with their tea. Because I'm sick. I have a big glass of tea, and it's cold already. <laughs> and they have those little small tea things. Maybe that's oh, yeah. why they keep refreshing them with hot water. Absolutely. Maybe I should edit that out. Probably because <laughs> you just fucked up my entire flow to talk <laughs> about tea. <laughs> <laughs> we start out with a pre-credit scene where a young girl wakes up on an airplane and is deeply troubled that everyone on the plane, including the pilots, are unconscious. When she answers a ringing cell phone, a man tells her, Hello, my name is Jim Moriarty. Welcome to The Final Problem. I was like, oh, shit. I'm in. Mariotti I'm hooked. Is back. I knew they were messing with us a bit last episode and the one before, so I was afraid to get my hopes up too high as far as how much we would see of Moriarty. Yeah. But I can't help it. I'm into it every time I hear his name or he becomes a part of the equation. You know, I should bring this up later, but just in case I forget, the whole airplane scenes, I kept thinking in my head, first of all, this show is brilliant because it's got me second-guessing everything. So the whole time I'm like, well, maybe it's because of this and maybe they're twisting it here, blah, blah, blah. So I kept saying, all right, maybe she hired a kid who's on the phone because there's no way that this plane is still in the air. I know. And something didn't feel right about it every time they went back to her. But this is where it's so smart because I couldn't figure out what that was. Mm -hmm. Not for the life of me. So it didn't matter. Yeah, I think the fact that she never panics. Like, where? You, why do you keep leaving me? I'm freaking out right now, and you just keep disappearing, you know? <laughs> and the, the plane was getting close to the town, and then they took about two hours to go back to what's going on with Sherlock and Watson and Mycroft. Yeah. <laughs> well, our second scene is Mycroft at home, and this gave us a bit of a different feeling. I was confused at first. Mycroft is enjoying a vintage film in his private cinema when it is disrupted by a message that says the final problem. Then footage from his childhood and ominously flashing the words I'm back before the reel dies. Visibly bothered, he tries to leave and is confronted in the hallway by flickering lights, followed by sounds from above, 
the paintings on his walls with bleeding eyes and a scary clown that comes at him. Okay, so this scene and last scene had a very scary movie feel. Yeah. Very horror movie, right? Mm-hmm. Even the plane. That was more like uh, Twilight Zoney. Yes, exactly. But maybe just because it's on a plane. Exactly. And then this, he's in a mansion, he's alone, it's dark. <laughs> and then all the tropes, but kind of in a like in your face, like funny way. Bleeding, and then this sound, and then a girl running. It was completely ridiculous. And here again, though, I still did not make the connection that it was Sherlock playing a joke on him. I'm glad, though, now looking back on it, if it was serious, it would have been kind of corny because it was so many. Oh, of course. It it was out of place. That's why I say it. I didn't know what to make of it, all these things that were happening, especially when he starts following the girl who is running and whispering in an upstairs corridor. But of course, as panic sets in, Sherlock and John appear and reveal the whole situation to be a ploy. Sherlock, help me. Experiment complete. Conclusion, I have a sister. This was you? All of this was you? Conclusion two, my sister, Euros apparently, has been incarcerated from an early age in a secure institution controlled by my brother. Hey, bro. Why would you do this, this pantomime? Why? Conclusion three, you are terrified of her. You have no idea what you're doing. In fact, devised by Watson to prove the existence of their secret sister, Euros. John tells Mycroft he thought the latter would never admit the truth unless put into a terrifying situation. I said this before, I'll say it again. This series is so good at slamming humor up against either scary or Mm -hmm. sad, and that's exactly what they did. The way he comes in... And at first I was like, oh, shit, he's here to save the day. And then because he came in all powerful. And then the lights turn on. And even with the lights on, that clown is looking scary as hell. Well, and I love several times throughout this episode, we get such a different view of Mycroft. Mycroft as a real person whose tough exterior can be cracked. He experiences fear, uncertainty, confusion. Right from this very first scene, they have him legitimately afraid. As soon as the lights turn on and he sees Sherlock, his first reaction is, help me, Sherlock. And he Mm. says it in a desperate way, like, thank goodness you're here. Are you going to help me? What are you going to do? This is the first real major moment where you start to fear Euros. You see how scared he is. He's scared of nothing. I mean, he's the head of everything. You know what I mean? And... He's legit scared, and, and there's times throughout this episode where he will bring up how dangerous this woman is. And incredibly frightening, Sherlock actually refers to her later as a ghost story. That's what Mycroft turned her into without even remembering what he had gone through. He just had this imprint in his mind that the East Wind was something to be feared. And, in fact, Sherlock and John turned to leave right after admitting that it was all a ploy, and they give Mycroft the warning, you might want to close that window. There's an east wind coming. Yeah, he's like, you're leaving? Where should we meet? And they say, 221B. And they're, I forget how they do it, but they're like, obviously, we're not going to stay here. She's after you here. <laughs> Which was great. Were you surprised to see John was fine? Like, it was just kind of nothing? What I was surprised about was that this was all John's idea. Mm. And Mycroft couldn't believe it either. He's like, what is going on here? And John says, well, I knew there was no way you were going to tell the truth unless we completely terrified you. So I was thinking, how did Mycroft not know? I thought maybe, possibly, 
he would not know about her when John gets shot. But afterwards, mm-hmm. he knows everything. He must have been aware of it, and I guess not. Well, we're going to find out some answers to that yeah, we'll in a little bit. Next, though, we go to Baker Street, where Mycroft comes the next day to meet with Sherlock and John, and they treat him like a regular client. Mycroft asks him to take the case, and reluctantly Sherlock does so, after demanding that he tell him the whole truth, as he cannot remember Euros at all, or indeed even the fact that he had another sibling. Mycroft says memories can resurface, wounds can reopen, the roads we walk have demons beneath. He used to use trigger words periodically when Sherlock was growing up to update himself on Sherlock's mental state and to see how much he remembered about it. And even though he claims not to have any memories, Mycroft thinks every action and decision in his life has been based on his subconscious memories of Euros. It's at this point that Sherlock demands that John stay for the rest of the meeting because he's family. And then Mycroft goes into describing their sister. So that just goes to show you, even when you suppress something so deep that you don't remember it, parts of it still affect you in life. Absolutely. And I am completely amazed at how much pop culture has started to take a look at PTSD and really in a more truthful light. I feel like every show we review, I'm talking about this, but that's because it's completely relevant. We saw John's history that we talked about in the prequel episode with his own traumas of his past being a soldier. Now we come to find out the ultimate meaning behind Sherlock's mental state is the traumatic experiences he had as a child. With PTSD, I guess I suffer from that as far as driving in a car. Mm. When I was very young, I think I was first grade, I was out sick for three days and my mother was with me. I remember I was feeling better that day to the point where we were playing catch in the backyard. And I remember vividly while we're playing catch, she's like, we have to go to your school and pick up the homework you've been missing. Mm-hmm. And I was like, no, I don't want to, you know. So after we finished playing catch, we drove to the principal's office. She gave us the homework we were missing. And on our drive home, so the town was getting bigger and bigger. So the block, we have to take a left across traffic to get to our block. And there's no light there because normally there isn't that much traffic. But the town is getting so populated that there's a lot of traffic and... They needed a light there. Okay. So we're stopped there with the blinker waiting to turn left, and a school bus slams into us. From the front or from behind? From behind. And apparently it was the, the driver was, you know the big, remember the big mirror that the bus drivers have of above course. them? yeah. Apparently he was yelling and staring at the mirror, yelling at the kids to, sh- to like sit down and shut up, mm-hmm. and he wasn't looking forward. Didn't even see us slammed full speed into us. Thank God back then we had a station wagon and back then cars were like made of steel. Yes. And it was one of those long ass station wagons, those old school ones. But since then, whenever you're driving or someone else is driving, I'm always like, slow down, slow down, because I feel like you're not stopping in time in front of whoever's in front of us. Yes. And I've obviously heard this story before, but I'm glad that you're talking about it here. The part that he's not mentioning, and we won't go too far into this because this is personal, but... Probably a bonus. While you were okay, your mother did experience some injuries due to that accident, and they had some longer-lasting effects that also made you feel very bad psychologically about the fact that she was taking you to get your homework on that day. Yeah. So that is classic signs 
when you've experienced a traumatic event. You recall that event vividly. You think about it later. You have triggers that will set you off to have anxiety or panic when you think about it. So a trigger for you is now if you feel like somebody is not stopping too fast in a car. Mm -hmm. You can have residual guilt over the situation. All of these feelings, it really starts to impact a lot of areas of your life and go through to change your thoughts, your feelings, your actions. Now imagine that intensified you know, 20 fold to a traumatic experience, like what they're fictionally portraying here. Yeah. And it extends even further. It's reach. And if you've gone through multiple traumas that can go even further, but what they're learning about it is that most people have experienced at least one trauma in their lives. It's just to what extent was it? How bad was the event and how much does it impact you now today? It's an important topic in the field of psychology. It allows us to understand people better, what they've been through and what shapes the people we are today. So that's a really relevant issue that I'm going to love exploring here because they portray it, I think, beautifully, at least with many parts when it comes to Sherlock. So a few things about this scene before we move on. Mm -hmm. One, I love Miss Hudson saying, I forget exactly how she says it, but she tells Mycroft to sit down. You have to sit down or yes. else they won't talk to you. Yes. I love that. <laughs> so she's still got the badass hat on. And every time Sherlock said Euros, there was like a little background scary movie sound, mm. sound effect. Yes. Which again, perpetuating that feeling like, oh, this person is really dangerous. Ramping up that fear factor before we've even met her. Now, we were thinking last episode that maybe Sherlock didn't remember her because she was too young, or he was too young. But now we know that he was only a year apart. So it's Mycroft, seven years older than Sherlock, and then Euros, one year younger than Sherlock. Making Sherlock the middle child, which they don't fail to comment on. <laughs> I love that. We find out a lot about Euros here. And of course... The saying that that's why he stays. I love that. Yes, very forcefully, immediately drawing attention to the fact that Sherlock is sticking up for John and viewing him as family, which is going to become a theme throughout the rest of the episode. And of course, we learn a lot about Euros here. Mycroft says she was more brilliant than either of the Holmes brothers, which was confirmed in professional assessments done in their childhood when they described her as an era-defining genius beyond Newton. She was different from the beginning and knew things she shouldn't. Mycroft here recalls disturbing instances from their childhood at their family ancestral home, Musgrave, such as her cutting herself to see how her muscles worked. She said she didn't understand pain, or cryptically singing about how and where she killed their dog, Redbeard. This is where Sherlock remembers playing among the unreal gravestones wearing a pirate hat. <laughs> and it's also at this point that Sherlock starts to remember that she took the dog and locked him up where no one could find him, refusing to say where he was. After that, she set fire to and burned down their home. By the way, I have to make note of the fact that she was drawing multiple pictures of a dead Sherlock here. Jeez. As an art therapist, that was a psychological point. That I was wondering, how long is she doing this? Was anybody seeing these drawings? Yeah, what about drawings? these parents? Yeah, these what were the parents, parents doing? that we loved last season. The they fuck? had to have seen signs of this going on, even before it got this bad. And burning down the home, of course, led to her being taken away. Sherlock was traumatized, 
This is where Mycroft says in the early days he was emotional, but after this he was always different, and in time he seemed to forget Euros even existed. Creating ex- an exterior to help to protect himself and say, I'm never going to have this feeling again. Throughout this episode, we see Euros talk about fire, setting things on fire, exploding things. Does that mean anything psychologically? Yeah, I think it's twofold. There's firstly the symbol of this, which could indicate an anger, like what we see in her drawings, all the red, the fire, the flames. It's pretty stereotypical, but it does throw up some red flags, pardon the pun. But also it's just one of those signs that you look for in diagnosing somebody as a sociopath. There's often key things like the abuse or torture of animals. Setting fires, things of that nature are kind of hallmarks, especially when they happen that young in childhood. Does that often result from the child being molested or abused, or is it just... You know, a lot of different psychological issues could result from a trauma such as that, but we see this kind of pathology, somebody that winds up becoming a sociopath, as something very different and mainly just stemming from genetics. And that's why it manifests at such an early age. They, They have a complete disconnect with other people. They have almost zero ability and often zero ability to feel any empathy for others. They don't understand the basics of human emotion and what it means when somebody hurts or feels sad. And that's why they have no guilt for performing terrible acts against others or for even innocent things like small, cute animals, because that just doesn't register on their level. And I think they do a great job throughout the episode of showing her confusion as to not being able to cop on to human emotion. It's probably amplified by her genius as well. Oh, absolutely. I think that's inextricable. You must feel so alone when you know so much so easily, and everyone else can't even, you can't even converse with most people. It separates you from that, and we find out later why that metaphor was so poignant related to her mental state. Back to this scene, though. Mycroft then reveals that their parents were told the lie, that Euros died in the institution after starting yet another fire. In reality, he admits, she had been contained at a maximum security facility on an island called Sharonford ever since. It contains the uncontainables. It's more than a prison or an asylum. It's a fortress to keep the world safe from those inside, he says. Very deep, and they showed a great graphic about that, too. Kind of reminded me of Westworld because there were so many underground portions of it. Yeah. Again, perpetrating this scary movie feeling because now the whole episode is going to be based on an island, a dark island, jail cell a little bit of shutter island going on there's an institution where they all are it's incredibly difficult to get to only people that work there and live there and what they go through is kind of like saw remember saw yes while they're on there but even the boat ride over there was a little bit shutter islandish to me so i love how they were piecing together so many things but not in a corny way no it all seemed to meld really nicely for me some people didn't like it that Vox.com hates Sherlock. I don't know why he or she even writes about it. Yeah, I it's think ridiculous they're pretty negative about, about all the episodes, to be honest with you. They even say things. They say, like, 
it was random and didn't make sense. And I was going to wait, but I'll just say it now. The whole pirate scene where they were like, we're pirates when they took over the boat. No, it was perfection because that's what this whole exactly key memory goes back to that we saw Sherlock pirates. copping onto here that his trauma, and that's what we were talking about before, how there's triggers to the traumatic memory. And one of Sherlock's triggers for that memory clearly was the pirate symbol. Because when he tells that story a few episodes ago of the merchant in Samara, Mycroft comments, you wanted to change the ending so that the man goes off to a different town and And then becomes becomes a pirate. pirate. So he couldn't even help himself. Like he said, he was putting trigger words in every so often when he talked to Sherlock to check and see what he was remembering. Yeah. And in a place like this, he didn't remember that. He didn't connect it. So he's okay. Exactly. He's still not recalling. And we know that he was Yellowbeard. And the friend was Redbeard. Those were their code names. And so that is what started out as a very fond memory and turned super dark when he wasn't able to process the truth of what happened. He changed it and he made Redbeard into a dog. Yeah. You know, you see them running around with those hats. And so it all makes sense. I think they brilliantly wove the threads together so that you didn't piece it all here right in the beginning you got enough you were like oh this all makes sense now but you still don't know the whole story yeah you know i often think that we should do a blog because you write really well and they get way more hits than a podcast does (laughs) this guy on vox is making money off of this and you would write so much more but it would take us forever just to get into that because they have episodes days prior so they can have the, the blog up right away we wouldn't have that. And they're doing show after show after show. I look at some people that write consistently for this. I don't yeah. know how. It's their job. That's, that's all they, they do, do is yeah. watch TV shows and write about it. It's I crazy. I want that job. <laughs> all right. We have one more part of this scene here. Just as Mycroft dismisses the idea that Euros has escaped, they hear her singing her cryptic song as a drone flies into the flat carrying a powerful bomb the DX-707 grenade, or the patient's bomb, forcing them to be still since it will detonate when sensing motion, thus its name. They devise a plan of escape that they will wait to move until Mrs. Hudson is finished vacuuming downstairs and has gone to put it away in the closet because that's when she'll be safest since she's on the floor below them. And I thought this was truly amazing. It's this life-threatening, insane situation. Patience. The motion sensor is activated. If any of us move, the grenade will detonate. How powerful? It will certainly destroy this flat and kill anyone in it. Assuming walls of reasonable strength, your neighbors should be safe, but as it's landed on the floor, I move to wonder if the cafe below is open. It's Sunday morning, so it's closed. What about Mrs. Hudson? Going by her usual routine, I estimate she has another two minutes left. She keeps the vacuum cleaner in the back of the flat. Sir. So, safer there when she's putting it away? We have to move eventually. We should do it when she's safest. When the vacuum stops, we give her eight seconds to get to the back of the flat. She's fast when she's cleaning. Then we move. What's the trigger response time? Once we're mobile, how long before detonation? We have a maximum of three seconds to vacate the blast radius. John and I will take the windows. You take the stairs. Help get Mrs. Hudson out, too. Me? You're closer. You're faster. Speed differential won't be as critical as the distance. Yes, agreed. They hardly even take 30 seconds to think about it. 
And they have a little conversation, a little uh, heartwarming conversation too. They're being so so relaxed about it, even though, though they must be racked with fear. They just know this needs to be done. They can't sit here forever without moving. Something is bound to happen. So they have to plan it as best they can to give Mrs. Hudson the best chance of escaping without being hurt. That's their first priority. That's very sweet. And then get a, as far away from the blast as they possibly can in the three seconds they will have. If... Euros was so hell-bent on playing this game with Sherlock. Why would she do a bomb that is next to impossible to get away from? There's a couple of sticking points yeah. over the course of this episode that I don't think they fully thought through because they were looking for a big impact. This one, I believe, being visual. Start the episode off with a bang. Do you think they used the drone that they already had? from last episode to film oh, the that's a good <laughs> question. Helicopter. Probably so. <laughs> and it was visually impactful to see it flying in. The whole idea of this patient's bomb was amazing. It's very scary. It immediately established the relationship between Sherlock, John, and Mycroft, yes. who we don't often see working together for any length of time. Not they, as a tripod, no. Right. They became a trio here and worked very effectively together, put up against something so dangerous they were able to just instantaneously get on board. This is what we're going to do. No questions asked. We're all probably going to die, but fuck it. Let's go for it. And this is the first, well, I guess the second scene, not counting Mycroft getting scared, where you see Sherlock being way smarter than Mycroft. Mm. Mycroft, off of emotions, is saying, why do you get the window and I have to go to the stairs? You're faster than me. And he said it in such an eloquent way that I forget that it doesn't make sense my speed does not mean anything compared to the space I need to cover to get to the stairs. You're and you closer. Get, yeah. And he's like, you're right. So that, again, that's right, right there. You get a hinge of Mycroft isn't going to be the Mycroft we thought. Absolutely. And not only that, but John, on the opposite end of things, is going to immediately agree with Sherlock. Yeah. And go along with what he's saying to do. He's going to bring his knowledge and information to the table and he's going to trust him. We need to soldier on. And then, boom. Hmm. Great scene of them jumping out. Very epic to watch. But. Well, before you butt. Okay. Slow motion. Yeah. So we see Sherlock and John throwing themselves at the window, using their bodies to break through it as the explosion goes off and helps that along by pushing them out the yeah. window. Yeah. And then you just see them flailing out into the air. And that's it. That's it. So, okay. One thing you, you run through a pan, pane of glass, you're going to get cuts all over you. Yes. You jump off a building. I don't care if it's only two flights with a bomb pushing you. You're not going to land and be okay and be on a boat. You're breaking at least both of your legs and probably multiple other bones in your, your body. arms too. If you don't die. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and they're all okay. And we don't even see Mycroft, who made for the door and apparently somehow got it the worst. I'm assuming things collapsed on top of him in addition to the explosion. Mm -hmm. But, yeah, there's a few things like that that they just don't go back to. I suppose they figured there wasn't enough time and it was something the audience could just write off because they needed to keep going along with the ride and didn't have enough time to think about it. But once the episode ends and you start reviewing it in your mind, it's one of those kind of sticking points. But I'm still fine here to suspend my Whatever. disbelief. Yeah. It's not ruining anything for me at this point. But at least a limp or something. Give me a limp. <laughs> yeah, give sake. me a limp. I'll take that. 
At sea, a boat captain hears a radio broadcast for Sharonford repeated several times and advises the other man with him that sometimes they get those out in these waters and he should forget he ever heard it. Another scary movie trope. Mm. Sherlock and John are dropped by helicopter onto the unsuspecting boat and they pirate it to travel to Sharonford. Simultaneously, Sharonford's traffic control radar tracks the off-course boat and goes into lockdown procedure. They find the men from the boat tied up on shore with a note in the sand saying, tell my sister I'm here. Again, it was just, I love these scenes. It's so fun. And then, and then they always close it off with, tell my sister I'm here on the sand. <laughs> it's just, I love it. It was great. And especially building up to the next part of this, we move inside to Sharonford where it is revealed that Mycroft was severely injured by the explosion and is at the hospital unconscious with little hope of recovery. A fake-looking captain and John are taken into custody for question. The head of security believes he sees through the captain's disguise and gives a security card to the guard to check on Euros. That's his main concern. Then the captain removes the disguise and reveals himself to actually be Mycroft and tells him the man who received the security guard was in fact Sherlock. So this man's brilliant deductions were halfway right, but he mixed it all up. They showed these scenes to show you how very high defense this building is. Mm-hmm. So someone has a distress, distress call and it sounds the alarm. It's not, you know, lockdown alarm just in case, right? Even though if it's just a boat that is in distress, they're still going to put the place high in alert. lockdown. Yep. Anything moves towards the island or trying to get off the island. That's it. You got to throw up the flags. Now, you said the captain looked kind of fake. Or the disguise looked fake? It didn't to me. Did it really to you? I didn't think it was them. A little bit, but like they said, it was supposed to. They wanted this man's eyes on the fake-looking captain so that they wouldn't notice And he noticed it on that little screen, which was nice. So that was brilliant. I rewound that. I made us watch that a couple times because it tricked me, and then I wanted to see how they did it. So you can clearly see Sherlock behind the governor. Yes. But they did it so well that your eye never goes to him. He never looks up. You just see his forehead and the top of his nose. He stays in the shadow, and then you hear him say right away or something, you know it's his voice. Exactly as they planned. And in fact, when you watch it the second time through, you can't help but seeing Mycroft's face when he makes that expression early on before they take him back to the room. It's so clearly Mycroft. And we are glued to him, watching him the whole time, especially as he rips off the disguise. So you're not looking at this man that's blending into the background. When he drops the disguise, the smile on Mycroft's face, I love that. (laughs) This next part is exactly what we were talking about. Humor abutted right up against seriousness because Mycroft changes tack immediately and begins berating the governor for his loose security. He finds out that against his instructions, they attempted a psychiatric evaluation of Euros. So you have things going back and forth, but to stay with Mycroft and John, they begin to watch the tape of Euros's evaluation, where she says there is no such thing as good and bad. She is not a prisoner of arbitrary social rules because she is too clever. Meanwhile, Sherlock sneaks past security and is able to visit Euros, who he finds in an isolated cell playing the violin. This was kind of fun because every time he tried to move closer, the music got faster. Oh, yeah. And you realize that she knows it's him, even though her back is to him. As they start to talk, she is completely emotionless. 
Her face doesn't move. You see that right away. There's something completely disconnected about her. They warn Sherlock he has to stay three feet back from the glass. She's in this isolated cell. And as they talk, Sherlock says he doesn't remember her at all, but needs to know how she escaped. Euro says Mycroft was smarter when they were younger, but Sherlock was always her favorite because she could make him laugh. Until eventually she realized he wasn't laughing, he was screaming. Ugh. Right away with their back and forth. Yeah, she starts breaking him down right away. It's the first time they've met since they were kids. He's just trying to get information, but you can see the coaxing, the little seeds that she's already planting in her mind. In fact, she coaxes him to slowly step closer to the glass, telling him she will tell him the truth, until finally he attempts to touch the glass, and instead he touches her hand and realizes there was never any glass there. That scene was amazing. I watched it a couple of times. The way she acts, like, ah, it was beautiful. And then the camera angle, how it goes between the glass, and you can see that there's nothing there. It was almost like it was melting away, even though it wasn't there to begin with. Yeah, very cool. And you don't notice, again, when he comes in the room, that there's no reflection, which later on when they put the glass back is so obvious. Right. What you're looking at is the fact that there's signs on the glass. So your eye tells you it must be there, but she accounts for that later by saying she had the sign suspended Mm -hmm. after she took the glass away. And she had been using a throat mic to project her voice over the speakers. Between the two of those, you just dismiss it. You know, in that scene, I thought for a second, he was asking her, "How how did you get out? How do you leave? That maybe she wasn't really there. Maybe she was behind the glass. It was a projection. Yes, I thought that too. Because we've seen her voice over recordings already now so it's just a recording and she's actually i thought that was his violin and she was actually in his room or something you know i think they wanted you to think that because she did look completely emotionless like a robot like she wasn't real she had this very pale skin and long dark hair it was almost like she was a visage it was brilliant how they had you going through all the possibilities in your mind and I think that's why you weren't picking up on some of the clues that were there all along Mm. same way as Sherlock you're looking for the answer she is scary very scary absolutely and she plays the violin just like him so is that another one of the things where he like subconsciously learned violin or is that she says in the scene that she taught him how to play when they were children At the end here, she goes to attack Sherlock, but then we cut away. As Mycroft, John, and the governor review Euros' psychiatric tapes, the governor says that whoever came into contact with her in the past, talked to her, even just went into her cell, was invariably corrupted, recruited, and enslaved. He recalls an instance in which she talked a member of the Sharonford staff into killing himself and his family. And he says the messages that she put into his brain were like an earworm. He couldn't stop thinking about it. During this, the whole programming, we're seeing the video. And again, it's like a scary movie. And I'm wondering, is Sherlock, because they're kind of going back and forth with the Sherlock scenes and their scene. Mm -hmm. And I keep thinking, shit, is she programming him now? Mm. And it did feel like it, the way she coaxed him into doing what she wanted. And then, again, in my head, saying them playing tricks on me. I'm saying, I wonder if Sherlock is playing along in the cell with Euros, just like he played along with Moriarty on the roof, Mm. acting as if he was unaware, acting as if he was being bested. But there was no acting there. 
Well, that's true. We learn over the course of the episode that Euros is his fatal flaw, his biggest weakness. Here, the governor tells Mycroft she was never the same after Mycroft's Christmas gift to her. It was like it woke her up. It's then that John realizes the other voice on the tape they are currently watching is the governor himself. And he asks, so who is in charge of the prison? So what wakes him up? He goes outside and kind of gets a vertigo feeling and then comes in. And that's when he's like, listen to the tape. And he's like, I already know my sister. Just listen to the tape, Mycroft. I think he was just listening carefully. It's like you brought up a couple episodes ago. You've gradually been seeing Watson become more Sherlock-esque in his deductions and the way he's thinking. He can piece things together, and uh, he's seeing and observing now. Yeah. Now, again, here we go. Mycroft missing the note again. Mycroft should have picked up on that. Of course he should have. That's Mr. G's, as Moriarty would call him, (laughs) the governor. That's his voice, and that means that Something's not right. And that was an easy one. I can't believe the governor even played it for them knowing that. So alarmed at this realization, Mycroft and John attempt to leave, but the guards sound the alarm. John realizes it's Moriarty talking gibberish <laughs> over the alarms just as the security screens flash his face. Okay. Big uh, red bouncy alert or something oh, like that. It. Yeah. <laughs> oh my goodness. Okay. So Christina often gets upset with me because I love to rewind. Rewind, rewind, rewind. But this is the one episode where she did not give me a look every time I paused and said, I have to experience this again. Anything Moriarty we can play multiple times. Those alarms were fantastic. <laughs> I wrote in my notes, all caps, holy shit. Moriarty was on the speaker saying some wacky shit. When we saw him on the monitors, miss me, I freaked out. I was freaking out. I was, my emotions were super high. I was like, it all makes sense. He was, he has been alive. Thank God we get more him. See, I still wasn't there yet. No? I was super excited to hear him, but as it was a recording, I was still putting it in the past. However, they tricked me with the next scene. Yes. I will fully admit I was buying in completely that Moriarty was still alive. I was even going through my mind saying, but there's no way he shot himself in the face. Okay, we thought we saw Sherlock die and there was a great explanation behind that. Maybe they've got one for Moriarty too. Oh. In a flashback from Christmas five years prior, a helicopter arrives at Sharnford, but we don't know yet that it's five years prior. All we see is Moriarty exit while I want to break free plays on his earphones. We find out he is there on Mycroft's orders and he is taken to see him. And that's when they put it up on the screen and it says five years ago. It's like, shit. Okay. And right away my heart dropped and I was like, oh no. But I wasn't mad. No. Because it wasn't a mean deflection to us. It wasn't done to hurt us, the viewers. They were clearly trying to trick you, but it wasn't mean because they so quickly mm-hmm. told you the truth. He's not really back. This was a while ago. This is just a little treat. Yeah. 
of some Moriarty that you didn't think you were going to get. And so then I thought, great, I just hope it lasts a sufficient amount of time that we get to see more craziness. Now I do, and I will go over the problems I have with this episode. It's not one of my favorites, but what I can tell you is it's a great episode because of the amount of feelings that we go through. We had ups like that where I was freaking out and tingly. Then we had downs. Those were great. The issue is that only works once. For example, I can watch, and we have watched, episode one, series one, a thousand times. Mm -hmm. This episode, when I watched it the second time, was not as good. Couldn't take you on that same roller coaster now that you knew. So this, Mm. I think this episode specifically was dependent on those. Okay. That makes sense. Here, it only takes a few seconds to catapult you right back into the Moriarty craziness, and he does such a fantastic job of doing that in such a short span of time. From his creepiness when he gets off the helicopter and he's talking about the big G (laughs) because he's cool with the kids these days, then immediately walking up onto the units and almost smelling the air Mm. like he can sense the craziness and it's feeding him. Oh, yeah. Like a drug addiction. He's talking about how many cannibals they have on the units. I right away remembered what I missed about him. (laughs) He is so weird but so smart at the same time. The weird shit is almost poetic, yes. if that makes any sense. And that scene off the helicopter, I knew it was an instant gif. Like, there's no way that this isn't one of those iconic scenes that we always think about when we think about Sh- Sherlock. And it is. I'm always going to think about him, that music, his hands up, him dancing. Mm-hmm. With the cool helicopter in the background. And I, I must say that if we saw more of him, I have a feeling he would be more of the type of villain that I was looking for when we talked about Culverton Smith. And I said I would have liked oh, yeah. to see a sociopath that has some level of charm, persuasiveness, extreme intelligence to them that they could draw you in. I have a feeling if Moriarty wants to be, he can be like that. Although there are times where the craziness just seeps out. It's so apparent here. He goes to see Mycroft, who tells him that he remains a person of interest, though he is free for now because Euros has requested five minutes of unsupervised time with him. And this will be the downfall of it all. How dumb is Mycroft? He he goes on, he drones on and on about how dangerous his sister is and how anyone, anything could be used as a weapon. And then he puts an actual weapon, Moriarty, in the room the alone. The worst weapon. And I don't care what he was getting in exchange for this. It was not worth it. Yeah, if you needed something so bad, like uh, I'm assuming she would. she's so smart, she could help with some cases or something. I think but, it was those terrorist attacks that he was looking uh, for okay. who the person was, and she solved it in five minutes on Twitter. But... Whatever it is. Just fucking Sherlock. Yeah, it doesn't matter. You don't need this that bad. And if you are, for some insane reason, going to bring her Moriarty, you most definitely don't have it be unsupervised. No. Christmas present. I right away laughed. I was like, Gaddis and Moffat have a thing for Christmas. Besides the obvious, like, Christmas specials. But always on Christmas, one of the worst days of Doctor Who's life is on Christmas. Mm. Um... We had the epic Christmas Sherlock episode. I wonder if they had bad Christmases growing up or something. (laughs) Perhaps only. And this scene with Moriarty going to see Euros and then meeting for the first time and just super crazy on top of super crazy sniffing each other through the glass. Uh, Yeah. 
That was weird. I was wondering, is she like putting him in a trance or is it just a weird off? They were almost like <laughs> animals, Yeah, you know, sensing and feeling each other out. And they loved that energy that they got off each other. And so she knew about Moriarty through the little bit of time she had on Twitter. Correct. I wonder who's Well, we smart. assume, I, I suppose. I wish I could get a graph of like the smartest. So obviously, I mean, Euros is up there. Mm-hmm. Then probably Mycroft, then Sherlock... And Moriarty, right next level? Yeah, although they showed that at peak game, I believe Sherlock is much smarter than Mycroft in many ways. He completely crumbled in this episode when Sherlock shone. Well, we've already brought up three times, and there's going to be more. It's only going to get better. Yeah, or worse, depending on how you're looking (laughs) at it. So remember, I think it was episode one. Yeah, episode one, where Sherlock says, I'll wait. They're like, what are you going to do about Moriarty? He's like, I'll wait. That's all I can do. On the target. That's On what the target. we do. So, yes, it was Moriarty's plan, this big plan, this big game, but it was actually Euros's plan, but Moriarty's game, too. And that's what he's been waiting for, which is this third episode. Well, she was his final revenge. He had his plan going all this time, mm-hmm. and this was the last piece of the puzzle. Now it all begins. We go to Sheringford in the present, where John awakes in the prison cell along with Sherlock, Mycroft, and the head of security. They briefly talk to the girl on the airplane before the connection is terminated by Euros, who communicates with them via television screens around the compound. She gives them a choice in order to reconnect with the girl. Sherlock must choose either John or Mycroft to kill the head of security, or she will kill the man's wife who she has taken captive. Okay, so in all these tests, they kind of have, each test has a theme to it. Yes. This one doesn't even count as the first room. Okay. This is sort of the pre-test, but I'm calling this one moral code. That's because of what we see next. First, Mycroft cannot, will not shoot the man. Yep, pussy. (laughs) This is the first sign, but John (laughs) right away accepts the challenge and he takes it as... soldier. Bad as he feels about it, exactly. He's going to be a soldier about it. He realizes it's what he has to do because the man wants it. He's asking for it in order to save his wife. That's all he cares about. Nonetheless, he cannot bring himself to shoot. No. During this scene, I kept saying, all right, maybe the gun is empty or has blanks. But then I was like, Sherlock would notice the weight difference. Mm -hmm. So no, that can't be right. Yeah. And they all just seemed to feel the reality of what was going on there. There was no question that the stakes were real and that Euros was going to force them into doing some crazy shit. Okay, so now we have four strikes for Mycroft? I believe so. Okay. Let's keep a tally. Let's keep a tally. John tries his best, but you can see it's not going to happen. He keeps talking to the man, turning the man around. The man goes down on his knees. It's just stalling until eventually he says he can't. And the man takes the gun from John and shoots himself before anyone can react. So I want to narrate through all of this, we have Moriarty. So we have the red light turning on. Right. And during the waiting, we have Moriarty coming up on the screens. By the way, a lot of TVs. Yeah. And when you find out later that he filmed this during the five minutes that they have together, there is a shit ton of recordings I don't know if it was during the fight. I think he sent those throughout the times. Okay. I thought they yeah. mentioned at one point that the recordings were all done while he was there, which doesn't well, make Sherlock a lot of sense. Well, Sherlock says, she did all this in five minutes. 
Right. But I think the whole planning in five minutes. Right. He did the filming and sent it to her. But um, he's in the background, of course, going tick-tock, tick-tock. Tick, 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 with his crazy faces. I love this actor. And she's telling them she will give them incentives to ramp up the pressure, such as that she is speaking about everything in this clinical, detached voice. Like she's running psychological experiments on yeah. them, and they're just lab rats. She could care less. She wants to see the results. She has research questions that she's mm-hmm. looking to answer. Very trippy. Clatchers, if there's ever a new movie or show that comes out that has Andrew Scott, the guy who plays Moriarty, <laughs> you got to tweet us about it so we can watch it. Yes. And the second thing, last episode I said to you, how are they going to depict someone smarter than Mycroft and Sherlock? And I think they did a good job. They also depicted crazier too. Um, but yeah, they did a good job with saying, showing what someone smarter could do to them. I think they did an amazing job. What I didn't get early on was that being able to convince people and earworm people so quickly that there was that level of persuasiveness about her, but definitely the detached, not understanding human emotions whatsoever, needing to study them just to get them, they captured that perfectly. Back here, because neither John nor Mycroft actually carried out the deed, and Euros' demands therefore were not met, she shoots the wife anyway, while remarking on her fascination with the moral standards the men hold themselves to, saying her death was John's fault because of his moral code. This ends with Mycroft saying she's very clever, and Sherlock says, I'm beginning to think you're not. Uh, me too. I'm beginning to think that too. <laughs> and we get Moriarty. Come on now. All aboard. Choo-choo. Which was great. It's just, I love it. The underlining Moriarty is still getting them in his death. Then we go to room one, which we're calling specified consequences. Ooh. Euros opens a secret cell door leading to a series of rooms, each with puzzles she has created for them. Here, she has left them an envelope with images of suspects of a crime in which a man was shot as well as the rifle he was shot with. She demands they solve who did it by working together in exchange for more time to talk with the little girl on the plane. To further pressure Sherlock emotionally, she suspends the three suspects, all brothers, outside the window, bound and hanging over the sea, asking Sherlock to condemn one of them directly. Fasten your seatbelt. So she has the challenge in each room, this one being to figure out who the murderer was, and then she has the context, as she keeps saying it. And that is putting the level of fear or the consequences, the result of what's going to happen onto the equation. And here the results are one of these men is going to die. You are sentencing him to death. Which Sherlock is initially okay with because he believes, as horrible as this is, the man he's going to kill is a murderer. So the only hesitation on his part is that he definitely has to get it right. Figure it out correctly. Off of pictures and the, the gun. Yes. Pretty insane. Now moment one... Mycroft refuses to help, saying he feels they are being made to compete, him and Watson. This is useless. This is insane. And John says, Mycroft, we know. Bringing some levity, like, we know, but we got to do this. We got to handle this. And he's just got his hands crossed in the corner, in the dark, not helping at all. Strike number five. (laughs) It's here that John says, today we have to be soldiers, Mycroft, and to hell with what happens to us. He steps right up to the task begins to look at the rifle that Mycroft would not inspect, 
because he didn't feel he needed to prove his intelligence to Sherlock about his worth here. John has no problem with doing that. They start to put together what would happen with the rifle, how the kickback on it would have left a mark that they would have needed to have good eyesight because of the scope they were using. So you could count on anyone with glasses or who didn't have very good vision. Eventually, that's how they come to it, by physically looking at the brothers that are hung outside the window, and they realize the one man has recently had eye surgery. Mm -hmm. It's happened in the near past. So they pick him. They're a little bit reluctant if they've made the right decision, but they go with it. I didn't really understand that, how they figured out that he had the eye surgery and that he was fixing himself up because he was in a suit, but then also his hands were still messed up and he still had hair on his ears. That's a lot of how the fuck... Well, that's how he puts these deductions together. So because he can see better, he wants to look good and he's targeting those things that will immediately make him more presentable, like his suit... But because of all the time that's gone by without seeing well, there's things that he doesn't think about, like the hair in his ears and stuff like that. He's still adjusting to this, meaning that it's relatively new. Plus, I believe they saw the mark on his face where the rifle would have kicked back onto him. It's a lot of things that put it together, but because it is all sort of haphazardly rolled into a package, they can't be 100% sure. They have to make a decision, though. And upon choosing one of the suspects, Euros unexpectedly lets the other two men fall to their deaths instead. The innocent ones, we presume. To which John reacts angrily to this pointless murder, and she then lets the condemned man fall as well, remarking that there is no difference between guilty and innocent. It's crazy that two of them actually worked there. Two of them were guards or something. Oh, I think I missed that. Yeah. I believe. I might be way off on that one. It's also at the end of this scene that Mycroft realizes they will have to talk the little girl on the plane through crashing it into the water in order to avoid a populated city. Sherlock is dealing with stress very well. When he speaks to the little girl, he has the softer voice. He's very patient. Mm -hmm. He's measured in what he's saying. I would not be like that. And on top of that, trying to get her to trust him very, very quickly... He's also trying to glean as much information as he can. In the 30 seconds to a minute he has her on the phone, what does she see around her? What's outside of the window? Is anybody awake on the plane? He really has to think fast and only ask the important questions. But you're right. He does a great job with her. Mycroft just immediately has to detach. This is what we have to get her to do. She's got to crash the plane. And for that, we need to give her hope. John is sort of rebelling against that idea, thinking it's a horrible plan, but from what he can see, it's the one that has the least amount of collateral damage. Then we go to room two, emotional context. Euros leads them into the next area where an empty coffin sits with the lid that says, I love you. After some time, Sherlock and John deduce that the coffin is intended for Molly Hooper. Euros explains that she has rigged Molly's apartment with explosives, and in order to call off the detonation, Sherlock must get Molly to say, I love you, on the phone within three minutes, with the condition that he cannot reveal in any way that there is threat or danger involved. Sherlock is thereby forced to make Molly confess her love for him genuinely, which leaves both her and him emotionally shaken. I thought this scene was long-awaited, though something I never anticipated getting. Mm. Ooh, that should be a T-shirt. 
long awaited though never anticipated. Boom. Yeah. It, I mean, you've seen some of Sherlock's emotions towards John. And the way he views him as a family, him opening up more and becoming vulnerable with him, but they still haven't given you his feelings in an intimate emotional relationship, such as one with another woman. Every time we think we're going to get that, it's a trick. It's part of his plan, like the woman he proposed to yeah. in order to get into that building where Mary yeah. eventually shot him. Or it's with Irene Adler, this woman that's totally unattainable that we never really see, by the way, one of those things that we never went back to. We got her text message alert last episode. She didn't come back in in any way here. But we've known all along that Molly is just a regular person. She is someone in real life who has genuinely fallen in love with Sherlock. And Sherlock does not know how to deal with that. He's been avoiding it for a long time. And he has hurt her badly. Yeah, I remember a scene when they're in the lab, the science lab. And he kind of dismisses her and I felt so bad for her. Yeah, I mean, we've talked about how at first she tried to get him to talk to her, to notice her, to like her. Eventually, she went out and found herself a Sherlock replacement. Yeah. But even that didn't work, and now she just needs to not be around him anymore. Every time he comes by, like when he came and she was with the baby, you can see she is broken, and this really has gotten to her. And now he has pushed her to her limit. She thinks it's a joke what he's running on her, trying to get her to say, I love you. Why... Does he possibly want her to do that if it's not for real? That's the most hurtful thing she can imagine because she does actually love him. So why would he do that to her? And it doesn't seem to be because he genuinely wants to hear it and have that conversation because he's not saying any of that. He's just saying it's sort of a test. It's an experiment. I just need you to say it. Just do it. Yeah. He finally opens up a little bit emotionally, and she says, you say it first, and he does. He says it genuinely. And I think he means it. It takes so much out of him. There's an incredibly long pause, and you think it's not going to happen. The countdown is running out. At the very last minute, she says very quietly, I love you back to him. By the time they hang up the phone, you realize they're both shot. (laughs) I mean, this is really emotionally broken them down. And that's when Euros reveals there were never any bombs and Sherlock has in fact lost rather than won this task since the only result was Molly now having been emotionally hurt by him and him not being at his peak to continue the tasks. Your weakness was always emotional context. Yes. And so before leaving the room, (coughs) Sherlock puts the cover on the coffin and then suddenly breaks down, punching and destroying it while yelling in frustration. It was that moment where I thought she broke him. Seemed to be. But I think maybe she opened him. I agree, and I would love to see, if there is a future to this, where that goes with Molly. I think he only just came to the realization fully himself in this conversation that he actually loves her too on some level. He never allowed himself to see that. Yeah, of course. And it's not just a moment the scene pans away and then it comes back to him still sitting on the floor, kind of hunched up in the corner. We don't know how long he's been there. doesn't seem like very long, but John comes over to him, tells him he knows it was difficult. And Sherlock says, this isn't torture, it's vivisection. We're experiencing science from the perspective of lab rats. 
which was just the perfect way to put what he's oh, going yeah. through. Absolutely. But John reminds him to be a soldier, and they move on. They come to room three, a choice. This next room is empty. Euros tells Sherlock he now has to choose either John or Mycroft to continue on with him. Empty, but like five TV screens. <laughs> yes. So he can only pick one, whoever he needs most and must kill the other. Here, Mycroft begins to incite Sherlock, saying there really is no choice here. It has to be him. John is a stupid man, a scrap of ordinariness for Sherlock to dazzle with his intellect. And Sherlock is pathetic. He has always despised him for shaming the family name. At some point early into this rant, I realized what Mycroft was doing, that he was trying to get him riled up so that he would be angry enough to shoot him. Which for all of the less than amazing things Mycroft's been doing this episode, this was quite a moment for him. Definitely. We needed that. And before we even realize that he's faking it, John quietly remarks that Mycroft is right and the choice should be him. He's ready to accept it. Well, yeah, amongst all the things he said, he did say a couple of things that were true. Whatever lies ahead requires brain power. And obviously, of the two, two, it would be Mycroft. And then also, you're a soldier. As you said, you're a soldier. Soldiers are meant to die. Yeah, die for their country, die for their cause. And we see John initially protesting, rightfully so, because he's actually been the one helping Sherlock to figure out all these cases. Mycroft really hasn't been doing that much. You feel horribly bad for John. You wonder if he's thinking that a lot of this is true. You've kept this ordinary man around to dazzle him with how smart you are. It's very sad. It is sad. Also, the fact that it's always John that gets knocked out. In the beginning, when they find out that the place is under control by Euros, mm-hmm. he's the one that gets knocked in the back of the head. Mm-hmm. He was knocked out last episode. He was probably knocked out the episode before. So I do feel bad for this man. Of course, but it changes in a moment. Sherlock sees right through this attempt to incent him, knows what he's doing and says that's going to make it all the harder because he is, in fact, choosing him. He's choosing Mycroft to kill here. Emotionally, it goes back and forth. You see John protesting, but Mycroft has a beautifully brave moment where he just agrees with it. He keeps his calm. Him and Sherlock banter back and forth as he's saying goodbye, telling him to shoot him where the heart would be. Yeah, that was good. And of course, because he doesn't have the emotions. So (laughs) I thought that was poignant. It was such a tear-jerking goodbye, although it doesn't wind up being that way. First, Euros remarks that Moriarty thought he would make this choice. In fact, he made his recordings. And here we are, the end of the line. Holmes killing Holmes. This is where I get off. To state that it would be Mycroft. Sherlock won't stand for that. He points the gun at himself instead and starts a 10-second countdown. Finally, Sherlock regains control of the situation. We've been waiting for this. Well, he finally realizes that Sherlock is the center of this whole game. Mm -hmm. This is what she's wanted all along. And without him, she can't continue it. No, he made a chess move that would essentially checkmate. The game could no longer go. And it works. Not getting the results she wanted, Euro shoots them all with tranquilizer darts from the walls. This whole episode, everything, all these rooms... This island, this took a lot of planning and a lot of money. 
Yes. And I'm sure this kind of jail gets a good amount of money, but she must have taken her. I mean, she's been there forever, so she took her time to control of everyone's mind and was able to just make it her world. Yeah, we don't know how long this has been going on for. I mean, she's been there since she was a child, and we don't know how early in she finally took control of the governor of the institution, and that allowed her seemingly free reign to come and go as she yeah. pleased, to get access to things. Is she the only cell mate? I guess not cell mate, only person in jail? No, there's definitely other people there. They talk about it, especially when Moriarty asks them about the profile of the people there, how many cannibals do they have. That's right. The guy nonchalantly replies three. <laughs> but it seems as though she has this cell to herself. I'm not sure if they all have such cells, perhaps. And she has had the ability to come and go for quite some time now. So it's very elaborately planned. These puzzles are incredibly intense, not only because of the nature of them, what she's emotionally and mentally putting them through, but also because there's so many layers to each of them. They have to solve the riddle. There's stakes with people's lives going on. And in the meantime, there's this story running through the background of them needing to save this girl on the plane. And so now we start culminating all of those factors. Sherlock wakes up hours later in a cell with images scattered on the walls. He is reconnected with the girl and starts to guide her in landing the plane before being cut to John, who has woken up chained at the bottom of a well. All right, before we move on, I did this to you again, Chris. I forgot to bring up one of the scenes when they do pass out. Mm -hmm. This is, again, visuals. I love Sherlock for their visuals. I think we've seen Sherlock pass out this way a few times, and it never gets old for me, where they have the camera follow him as he falls down. Yes. That was great. And this time he fell into water. Well, it or was seemed, it blood? Or? It seemed to be some kind of liquid. And I love that later they bring that up. We have seen so much water imagery without realizing it throughout all of Sherlock. Yes, the pool, all that. And eventually Euros is going to point to that, all of the ties that come in. And we also see that John himself is at the bottom of the well, and there's about two feet of water. So she knows that. The way he wakes up in this scene, and there's the girl on the phone, and he's able to right away, like, he's up and he's alert, and he's, like, speaking to her again in that well-mannered voice or that low, well-tempered voice. He's just able to turn it on. He was just knocked out. And he's really trying to get to the point of solving that now. Now that he finally has the time to talk to her, it seems like he's getting somewhere, but then they cut right over to John, and you realize the imminence of his situation, that she is probably going to start flooding this well, mm -hmm. and he will have to figure out a way to get him out. John seems scared for the first time, as he notices that he's chained to the floor, and he discovers bones that we initially assume, and I suppose he assumes, are dog bones, yep. as Sherlock also finds the dog bowl in his room that says Redbeard. But shortly in, he realizes the whole cell is a ruse. He easily pushes down the wall to see that he is no longer at Sharonford, but at Musgrave, or a recreation of their old home. So cool. Another emotional standpoint where you get a feeling as the viewer, and I was like, wow, oh shit, he's home. And the way he walks out, very powerful. All the walls are falling and he just walks into it. No emotions, no like, oh my God, that's my old home. Just walks through into the scene, ready to take over. He's had enough. And talk about all of her planning. She had figured this out with Moriarty to have the whole Musgrave 
manner reproduced for this sole purpose. Oh, was it? I thought maybe it just wasn't completely burnt down. It was still in just in shambles. It was bad enough she made a comment about it at some point that they reconstructed it. Oh, So wow. I don't know if from scratch okay. or they used the bones. It seems like they're still at the same location generally. Same location as his home? Right. Okay. Maybe they just fixed it up a little bit. I mean, there is a TV and electricity in there. It's so. got to be the same spot because they still have the graves and everything. True. It's at that point that Eros tells him Moriarty's revenge was her and once again challenges him to solve his first case and the final problem, the Musgrave ritual to save John. What does Musgrave stand for? I didn't research that. It's the name of their home. I'm sure that oh. it has something more, but it also does tie back to one the of graves. the original oh, okay. Arthur Conan Doyle stories. So Sherlock simultaneously attempts to guide the girl in landing the plane and solve Euros's puzzle while she mocks him with her cryptic song. But John shortly figures out and tells Sherlock what he found was not dog bones. They were, in fact, human bones. And Euros tells him they never had a dog. His father was deathly allergic, allergic. yeah. Mm-hmm. They could never have a dog. Don't you remember, she says, it was the nickname for his best friend, Victor Trevor. She says, you were so upset you told yourself a better story. And now we see the background of Sherlock playing with his childhood friend. She says they were inseparable and she wanted to play too. So she created her own game. She put Trevor inside of the well and told him to try to figure it out. And this is why Deepwater has always been in his dream. She goes back to his mind palace, all of this stuff that I don't know how she figured out that we've been seeing with Sherlock over the course of all of the series. And he also realizes he doesn't come right out and say it but somewhere in this section that he doesn't need to focus on the girl in the plane anymore. That if he figures out the case, where the well is, the original riddle she had set to him when they were children, the plane will land itself. So I think he knew at that point, we as the audience are just thinking, well, if he solves the main puzzle, she'll take care of the girl on the plane. It won't crash anymore. But I think he actually came to the conclusion that it was Euros herself here. Oh, you think so? Yeah, I... I would have to watch it again, but I believe so. How does she make her voice so high? Like, it really was a child's voice. It's weird. Well, I think it's not totally acting when she does that. She literally is experiencing that regression. This is her trauma as well, mm-hmm. and it goes back to this point. And Sherlock starts to realize that. He deciphers the cryptic song she's been singing since they were children, realizes the dates on the gravestone provide the key to the cipher, and he starts to put it together and decode the song, which was the message all along. So we get to see him do his uh, deduction and his his mind games, which is good. We needed to have that in the last episode. And it leads him to her room, and he goes back inside of the house to find her, knowing now that she was the girl on the plane all along. He finds her sitting in there talking in that little girl voice, And it seems she is almost flashing back to that age, that time. She has been emotionally stuck there. And that's part of the reason she never continued to develop. I mean, she always had this issue, this psychopathology with being able to understand and connect to emotions. But she also really got stuck because she came to the conclusion early on that she couldn't be a part of it. 
she wanted to play with Sherlock and experience those things that he was with his friend, with other kids. And that's why she latched onto him more than Mycroft, because even at a young age, Mycroft didn't really have those same emotions and relationships with other kids, I suppose, other people. It was Sherlock that she wanted to be like. She wanted to be a sister and join in on that. But she couldn't wrap her brain around how to do that. So her idea of a game was to create this puzzle for him, <sighs> which is so insane. And Sherlock realizes that the plane was a mental metaphor all along. She felt so high above all of them. The only thing she didn't know how to do was land. Listen, I don't feel bad for her. My brothers were 10 years and 9 years older than me, so they were too cool when they were in high school because I was very young to play with me. So I never got to play around with them. I never got to be a part of their life in that way. I always had to watch them having fun with their friends, and I didn't want to kill them or anything. (laughs) No, and it is certainly very hard to feel bad for somebody who is this violent and has destroyed so many lives and wound up with the death of so many people, but... You also have to consider there was that on top of her feeling disconnected from everybody, the world in general, in every single aspect. Yeah. Between what you said about her intelligence level, feeling like that puts her on a different plane from other people, just not getting these emotions, even down to pain that she had to cut open her own arm because she was just trying to get it. I don't understand that feeling. Me neither. I don't know what that is, she says. Looking at Sherlock playing with his friend, I don't understand fun and happiness and relating in that way. So she tries to solve it, but with this twisted sense of her own reality. I thought that was all very interesting, and the metaphor only started to hit me how powerful it was. And I'm thinking, this is going to be great when they really dive into it. And my biggest criticism with the episode was they came to that, and two seconds later, they were done. Yes. He was able to come into the room, speak to her for a couple minutes, and it was done. It was all good. A lifetime worth of intense psychological difficulties. A person that nobody could figure out, that they knew at such a young age, this mind was unlike anything they've ever seen before. He not only comes to the deduction after a lifetime of not being able to figure out the riddle, figures out the insanely complicated metaphor that is Euros Holmes, Mm -hmm. then is able to talk her down from the ledge by saying she got it wrong the first time. Down from the airplane. Yes, (laughs) but they can get it right together this time to save John. And seriously, in a matter of a minute, she agrees and they're able to find the location and get John out before he drowns. I don't have a resolution of how they could have done that better, but... uh. They could have taken a little time away from some of the other areas that maybe weren't so needed. As much as I do love that initial scene with Mycroft in his house, you did not need all of that time spent there. You really could have helped the episode a lot more by giving a little more dedication to this is what you've been waiting for, the culmination of not just the scene, the episode, the series, but all of Sherlock. It would have been nice to see Sherlock top her mentally at that moment. So while he's there and he's talking to her and maybe she's, there's still some fight back with her, maybe as the, the kid or maybe as Euros, the adult, and then have Sherlock 
somehow mentally manipulate her or somehow get the better because she's always got the better of every mm-hmm. conversation. That would have been better. Even four more minutes, two more minutes. Well, he did sort of by figuring out the riddle and understanding how she got to this place. And I get that he didn't fix her. And that would have really upset me if they tried to imply that he fixed her that quickly. Right. Yeah. He was only able to understand and sort of relate enough that he could figure out what she'd done. But even that was too quick. Because in order to do so, he had to get on that level and emotionally connect with her. It really was more that than mentally overcoming her, although they were both part of it. And for that kind of a connection, you do need a little more time, especially when you're going to wrap it up here and seemingly ship Euros off back to Sharonford forever. And we're not probably going to see much more of her. So that was a huge complaint about that. It was a good moment. Uh, can we talk about the fact that Mycroft wasn't there because we never needed him because he was no good. He was no help. <laughs> he was left true. back at the <clears throat> island. Yeah, they say here, you know, Euros finally got the love and the connection she was denied in childhood. She discloses where John is, and it's revealed Mycroft was safe and had only been locked away in her old cell at Sharonford this whole time. So, yes, Euros is taken back into custody by Lestrade, who will bring her back to Sharonford. This was a beautiful moment. Lestrade says Sherlock is better than a great man. He is a good one. Yeah, and he got Craig's name right. Yes. I wish there was more Lestrade this season. We missed him. We kind of missed him, you know? I really like their connection together and such a turning point for both of them. John also wraps it up kind of nicely by saying, even though he couldn't bring Euros home, he gave her what she was looking for, context. And then Mycroft admits to their parents that Euros is alive, but they cannot see her since she will talk to no one and has passed beyond their view. So again, they don't try to pretend she's fixed. In fact, she's gone even further away. She doesn't even speak to anybody anymore. I think this may be a measure of showing she realized how dangerous she was and even just talking to people she was enslaving them and creating all of this chaos and she she's just pulled in she's gone into her mental airplane again never to come back down except for the moments where she gets to visit with Sherlock we see that he visits her regularly now and although they do not talk they play violin duets together separated only by the now solid glass pane of her cell So they speak through the violin. Yeah. This was kind of sad in Mycroft's conversation with his parents because they don't get it. No, they don't. They seriously blame him for taking her away, putting her in this place, lying to them, not letting them see. I think they're in total denial of what she is. They don't get it, but he's willing to be the bad guy because he feels he messed up so Horribly the first time. Oh, yeah. You know, he admitted to John and Sherlock a while back that it was his fault. He did allow her that unsupervised time. He should have never done that. But we do see in the end that they do get to come and visit. She is doing well enough where they're all sitting there and they're, I don't know if they're conversing, but they're at least in the room with her. They're being together. Yeah. It's more of a connection than she's ever had. Absolutely. Sherlock, they're all visiting now, so... I guess it paid off to. <laughs> I mean, she's still hor- she's still badly disturbed. Oh, of course. You know, and I, they are 
portraying that somewhat realistically, but Sherlock was able to forge a tiny, tiny bit of that bond that she searched for her whole life, Mm -hmm. and maybe that's enough for now. Our final scene is back at Baker Street, where Sherlock and John return home to repair the flat. As we said, down to the yellow smiley on the wall (laughs) and all the little arrangements. And it's here that John finds the CD that says, Miss You. And Mary's final message plays. P.S. I know you two. And if I'm gone, I know what you could become. Because I know who you really are. A junkie who solves crimes to get high. And the doctor who never came home from the war. Will you listen to me? Who you really are, it doesn't matter. It's all about the legend, the stories, the adventures. There is a last refuge for the desperate, the unloved, the persecuted. There is a final court of appeal for everyone. This was a really beautiful message. Yeah. This is what we were talking about, feeling like it's the end of Sherlock. Mm -hmm. She really wraps it up, saying that it all comes down to this is the last refuge for people. Anybody that's looking for help and can't find it anywhere else, even though one of them is a junkie that gets high to solve crimes and the other is a doctor that never came home from the war, they will be there. For anybody that needs them, her Baker Street boys. <laughs> it's very sweet and touching. I initially thought, oh, geez, another CD. Really, there's certain things that they push too far, like the whole East Wind thing and the Miss Me thing. It was starting to become a bit ridiculous. But the message itself was great, and I'm glad that we got one last clip from Mary. I didn't mind that CD because how else would she communicate? So I think that worked well. Yeah, because it was her. If it was something else, yeah, it would have been like, oh. Yeah. I thought it was the perfect end to a spectacular episode. Yeah, it was a good end. And we know that this might be the end of this series altogether. On our Twitter, we have a retweet from Moffat stating that, you know, how much fun he had and this may be the end. It's really up to the actors at this point. Mm. They would love to do more. But, you know, these are expensive actors and they're all busy. So if we do get another one, it will probably be another two years, and it might just be a Christmas special or a mini movie Mm -hmm. for TV. Um, We might not get a whole series again. I will be incredibly upset about that, but I couldn't think of a better way to go out or a nicer way to wrap up everything we've experienced so far. There were a few minor questions that bugged me along the way, such as whatever happened to John's affair with the woman we find out is Euros, they never went back to the fact that now that they're seeing a whole episode of Euros, John's feelings on the fact that he almost cheated on his wife with what turns out to be Sherlock's crazy sister. I mean, that's... I think that was resolved the end of last episode. Only by him realizing face-to-face with Euros that that's who she was. He never got a chance to say... This is fucking crazy. I almost fell for your nutty sister. (laughs) I mean, it's just. Oh, I see. Yeah. I guess there was a whole conversation 
that we miss between the episodes because we go from him finding out to them in Mycroft's mansion. Yeah, but yes, and him having staged the whole thing, but yeah. mostly because he realized Mycroft wouldn't tell the truth. It would have been nice since you put in that whole scene at some point to have John turn to Sherlock and say, I can't believe that I actually almost fell for that woman. Yeah. So hmm. glad that I cut it short. Or just, that's all you needed. You know, a comment here or there. Like I said, these are minor things, but things that bothered me. Another one was, what is ever going to be the result of Mycroft and Lady Smallwood? Lady Smallwood. Oh, yeah. What was the point of that? She gave him her number, and that was the end. And I really wanted to see a hint of emotional connection for Mycroft as well. She was so perfect for him. I was excited about that prospect. They could have left it open-ended. Again, just another word or a comment between them to know that possibly there was a future, especially since she knew about Sharonford. Hmm. As you said, the jumping out of the window thing, we also don't get to hear much about the baby. Is Molly Hooper watching the baby full time? Oh, yeah, where was the baby during Nobody's this raising this kid. He, John should have said, my baby's there too. I assume like, she was with Molly, but again, is she just raising John's child? I know. 24-7? Um, and also, we never got to go back to Mrs. Hudson. I mean, you know, we see she's okay, but I would have liked... Well, we see her in the montage, I guess. I know. Just a closing... If, again, if this is going to be for good, I would have liked a closing sentiment for her and a closing word or two between Sherlock and Molly. After their huge emotional phone call, this episode, there was no real resolution to that. The resolution was about Sherlock. As and it I guess always that kind of makes sense. But even for him, because he did feel something emotionally for that. And we know emotionally he loves Mrs. Hudson and cares about John and his family now. So I guess the montage was supposed to do it. If so, maybe a little more again on the montage. They spent so much time on other areas, and this is often a criticism of mine, a very minor one of Sherlock. But they dedicate time to things I think the writers think are fun. Mm -hmm. And then they don't have enough time for some of those truly meaningful moments that we need to feel okay about everything, at right. least in my opinion. But all of that being said, I said it before that this is one of my favorite episodes of Sherlock ever. That's going to take me into my rating. I give this episode 10 Dear Stalkers. Whoa, Chris. And those Jesus. of you who have listened to my other episode reviews know a 10 is few and far between. I think I've only ever given one out for Game of Thrones. I'm going nine, Dear Stalkers. But if Ooh, this... yeah, low. Well, here we go for this one. If this <laughs> truly is the series finale, I'm going eight. Wow. I just felt... Hold on. Can we have an explosion where the windows <laughs> blow out? <laughs> I loved it. I still loved it. But episode two was so much better to me. It's still graded better than episode one. Yes, episode one was the weakest of the trio. And admittedly, if it's a series finale, 8.0 is a little too low. I'd probably go up on that. I now think that it was definitely better than two, though, also, in my opinion. Oh, see, I disagree. Strongly disagree. Wow. That second rewatch hurt you. What do you think you would have rated it after just the first viewing? Probably like a 9.7. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. It was great. I, I do have to admit that after we've gone through it again and talked it out and all the, I saw how excited I got, mm. I might be being a little too harsh. 
I loved it. You know, it didn't ruin the season or ruin the series for me. I guess the ending bothered me where it was resolved so easily. I guess that really got me. It very much bothered me as well. And if we didn't have that last scene with Mary's message in the Baker's Treat, I would have gone way down on my rating. That just managed to wrap it up and make me feel better about the rush through with Euros. I totally agree with you there, but I would like to hear the Clatcher's opinions because it does seem first and second viewing will leave you with a different impression. I want to know if that's how they feel as well. Let us know how many times you've watched this episode and how many deer stalkers would you give episode three of Sherlock series four, potentially the last ever. (laughs) My MVS, I'm going first. Yes. Most valuable sleuth. Moriarty. Nice. It is not the same as me this time. I think I, I missed him so much and I was so happy when I saw him on screen. Um, that's one of the things I really love about this episode, and he gets it, hands down. He stole the show with a few scenes. Absolutely. If you're truly going most valuable sleuth, it probably should be Euros Holmes for all she managed to do. But as this is my last opportunity, I'm going to give it to Dr. John Watson. Nice. I have never given it to him. In fact, I don't know that I've given it to Sherlock Holmes. So we'll do a little honorary there because it really was the team of them as it always is. But as you've stated, Watson has just stepped up his game tremendously in the past few episodes with his deductive abilities and the way he has become part of the team. There is no Sherlock Holmes anymore without Dr. John Watson. No, there isn't. So I thought... His conclusions were invaluable. His presence was invaluable. He kept everybody strong. This is where his assets as a soldier finally paid off. And he allowed them to keep moving through some of the most difficult things they've ever had to experience and get through it together. His strength, his bravery. His deductions. His will, his mind, his deductions. Absolutely all of that. He's the glue that held them together. This is the episode where Sherlock finally called him his family. I mean, it was just, it was beautiful. And you end off with Mary, which is so linked to John as well. And if not for him, she would have never been brought into both of their lives. Maybe if there's other episodes, if we could just always have Mary on the scenes, that'd be (laughs) great. I'd feel good about that. That would be wonderful. You have to give one of the best quotes to her ending speech, which we played here. There was also a great quote that we didn't already mention from Mycroft, the truth is rarely pure and never simple, which of course is from Oscar Wilde in The Importance of Being Earnest and definitely sums up a central theme to this episode. It was all about uncovering the truth as complicated as that was. All right, on to Clatcher's comments. I want to give huge shout outs to Jeff Coop 1787, Sanador 62, Wicked Jazz, Crystal the Pathologist, and Lax4411 for giving us awesome reviews on our Sherlock channel. We really do appreciate it. All these reviews help tremendously. We were taking a risk with going to Sherlock after Westworld, and you guys followed us, and the ones who found us, we're so appreciative of you as well, and let's just keep the ball rolling. And a special thanks to Crystal J., who also wrote to us and for giving us the vote to do The Magicians. 
And if you dig The Magicians, you may also like our Patreon movie exclusive review on Fantastic Beasts, if you like magic and shit. We also got a vote from Naomi, who said she saw we were debating on what shows to review after Sherlock. She votes Doctor Who, but her hubby likes both The Magicians and Doctor Who. And Jen, who also voted for it, saying she just started this series after we mentioned it. So she should be caught up by season two when that starts on January 27th. And so those combined with many other emails and Twitter responses that we got have led us to our decision, which we can officially announce now. The next show that we will be reviewing on Coffee Clatch Crew is The The Magicians. Magicians. And I'm excited for that. You did it. Your votes counted. If we hadn't had people writing in and encouraging us to do that, we probably would have gone with another show. And I'm not talking Doctor Who, because we might still do that eventually down the line. It's another scary one. It's even more scary because we didn't think it was as well-known. And it's on sci-fi, so we're taking a risk. We'll probably get less downloads and less listeners. But with your help, we can continue to grow. So if you spread the word, you tell your friends, you tell your social media friends as well, you provide them a link. We'll create a new channel for that, but also our main channel, Coffee Clash Crew. You can just go on there and you'll follow every podcast we ever do. Yes, it's true. We realized while we do need to sort of follow the flow of shows and try to get enough people that are going to be interesting in order to make this podcast worth it, ultimately the reason we started this up was to talk about shows that we're really passionate about. Big, small, or somewhere in between, this was a show that we really enjoyed. We also miss having that dual perspective like we had when we started out with Game of Thrones, that being that I have read the books And Jason has only seen the TV series. So we have both sides of that coming in, which I thought made for a great dynamic in our first review ever. So we're really excited that we're going to be doing that. We hope you tune in, tell your friends, tell anybody that they should get in on this new ride. It's going to be a lot of fun. Back to our last couple of Clatcher's comments, though, for Sherlock. It's over. (laughs) Lindsay says she discovered us from the Westworld podcast and has been loving the insights we bring to Sherlock. She also voted for The Magicians, and she says it's one of her favorite shows, and in many ways she enjoys the characters and the direction the show is going over the books, which will be fun to talk about. Christina has so much background for that, so we're going to do a prequel episode that we're calling Break Bills 101. Yeah, we can break down all of the really exciting things. There is so much out there in the fandom that I didn't realize until I started looking. That's one of the things that sold me on doing The Magicians. They have the sci-fi website, which if you guys want to check out, there's a ton of interactive stuff on there. Leave yourself some time. You'll have a great experience exploring it. Phonetically Correct said episode two of Sherlock ranks as one of the best. That twist was excellently done, even though some people didn't like it. I agree. And also thought that episode three was fantastic. Emily says it was a very satisfying ending, warm and fuzzy. And Lewis said series four was absolutely the best series, especially episode three. The way they brought back Moriarty was brilliant Eros was an incredible villain who had the upper hand every step of the way. Her character further proves that Moffat can write strong female characters. I love the way the whole series really is about Sherlock and Watson. The way he says, you killed my best friend, and then cuts to Watson's face, says it all. 
It's about their brotherhood, which even Mycroft understood. He was willing to sacrifice himself because he knows Sherlock needs Watson to continue being the best person he can be. The whole episode was perfect beginning to end. I hope the show continues, but even the last montage serves as an end to a fantastic series. So thank you, Lewis. We 100% agree with all of those thoughts, so we had to read it out on here. And that wraps it up for our Sherlock Series 4. Thank you to everybody for joining us, and we can't wait to start our next incredible adventure. Don't forget to follow us on our social networks, Twitter, Facebook. Check out our website, check out our gear, and check out our Patreon. It's really fun. People are enjoying our Patreon pages. All of that is on coffeeclatchcrew.com. That's C-K-C. Until next week, this round's on me. This round is on me! When life gets too strange, too impossible, too frightening, there is always one last hope. When all else fails, there are two men sitting arguing in a scruffy flat, like they've always been there and they always will. The best and wisest men I have ever known. My Baker Street boys, Sherlock Holmes and Dr. Watson.